I don't think that this is the first time that I have said this to you, but often as I look at the scriptures, I fear that our way of reading the scriptures sometimes blinds us to much of what we're supposed to find inside the text. Some passages that I read, I feel like it's more significant than it is in others. For example, what we've read today from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We often go to this passage and we read it like it's a list of facts. It's a timeline that we're supposed to figure out on day one this happened and on day two that happened. And and some of us even work hard to make sure that we memorize what happened on each day. Because in our minds, the important thing is the list of facts. It's the information that we're trying to gather from the page. And while there's a great list of information there... Yes, lots of room for debate, but we're not interested in the debate today. We're interested in the passage and what's taking place in the passage. I'm interested in the reality that sometimes because we read it as information, because we read it as a timeline, because we read it as a list, I'm afraid we miss much of the beauty that the passage actually holds. I'm afraid we miss much of what God wants us to see that's kind of underneath the words, that's in the subtext, that's in between the lines. Think about it like this. Ben's a big sports fan, right, Ben? Yeah? Ben, which would you rather have at the end of the game, reading the list of stats or seeing the highlight reel? Watching the highlights. In the list of stats and the highlight reel, we get the same core information. But in the highlight reel, you get the opportunity to see how those stats were made more beautiful, more real, more alive. Just the other night, I saw uh, uh, the end of a game where LeBron James, like him or hate him, irrelevant, hit a last-second shot to win the game. If you look at the stats, all you see is LeBron got a three. But when you watch the highlight reel, you get to see how impressive that shot was as the timer ran out. In the same way, I think if we take this passage and we, yes, take some of the highlights, some of the information that's there, but move beyond that into the beauty of the story and how the story is told, I think that we find a beautiful rhythmic God and the way that God worked in this process of creation. Story tells us that on day one, God spoke light and it was good. It tells us that on day two, God spoke a space between the waters. So the sky was created as the waters above the earth and the waters on the earth began to separate from one another. And the sky was created and these waters began to exist and to flourish. On day three, oh, and it was good. On day three, we're told that God spoke land and the vegetation that filled it and the trees and the plants that would begin to grow. And it was good. It's at this point we really begin to see the rhythm, the song, the poem, the beauty that exists in this story as there is this flow back and forth because on day four, God spoke two great lights in the sky. Now, day one, do you remember? Light was created. On day four, two great lights in the sky, the sun and the moon and the stars. 
and it was good. On day five, we're told that God spoke the animals in the seas and the animals that, that would be in the sky. Day two, the waters were separated. Space, sky began to exist. Day five, the animals that filled those waters, the animals that flew in the sky. And it was good. On day six, we're told that animals that walked the land were created. Again, this rhythm, this poetry, this back and forth. Day three, the waters were separated, the land began to exist. And on day six, the animals that would walk that land, the animals that would eat from those plants. And it was good. We're also told that on day six, that God created something special, something unique, that God created man and woman. And that man and woman were created special. They were the only creation that was created in the image of God. And then the story tells us that God looked at everything God had created. And it was very good. Now, easily the song could have ended at that point. The rhythm, the back and forth of what was happening could have come to a conclusion because God's work, (coughs) excuse me, was completed. The, The creating part was finished. And yet the story doesn't end. Our modern chapter numbers and what comes into place distract us from the reality that the story continues. It carries on throughout chapter 1 into the beginning of chapter 2. The story is still going. It isn't finished yet. The work was finished, but the week wasn't finished. God was finished actually creating things, and yet creation wasn't finished yet. So the scriptures tell us that on day 7, God... Rested. On day seven, creation <clears throat> rested. On day seven, God, man and woman created in the image of God rested. And this is the only day, the only piece in this entire story that it says God called holy. God called this day, this final day, blessed. Out of everything that took place, out of everything that just happened, out of all the work that we're told that God had just participated in, all of the miracles that had taken place throughout this story, it was this seventh day, it was this this last day, this day of rest, this day of Sabbath, that God called holy and blessed. Now, in the scriptures, (coughs) excuse me, um, it isn't actually until the book of Exodus, until we see the Israelites escape from Egypt, that we see the day Sabbath given its name. Here, it just said that God took a day and he rested. But in Exodus, the day is called Sabbath. It's in the Ten Commandments that Sabbath becomes something that's that's legalized, that's, that's ritualized, that's mandated. Here in Genesis, it's simply a gift. 
here in this original creation story, in the first story of our scriptures, we're told that the way that God wrapped up creation, the culminating work in the creation story, the climax of all that God was doing, was in rest. That God made all of these beautiful things and then the icing on the top of the cake was rest. It was Sabbath. It was stopping from work. And God says it was holy. The work of God needed a Sabbath. The creation of God needed a Sabbath. We need a Sabbath. It is our Rhythm. It is the way in which we're created. It is the way in which the world was created. It is the way in which we're taught in the very first story that things move. That there is a rhythm to them. There is an in and an out. There is an inhale and an exhale. There is a breathing. There is a rhythm to all of these things. And as you and I experience Sabbath, we experience a piece of what it means for us to be created in the divine image. And yet we aren't God. So something even more beautiful takes place in the story in that we find that that it was God who walked through all seven days that were told of creation. But man and woman only came to exist in the sixth. So it was in their first full day of existence that they were to rest. That they were the Sabbath. People had been given these special assignments. Man and woman had been given special assignments. Special responsibilities that they were supposed to have to protect and provide for. And to oversee all that God had already done. All the work that had taken place. Because they were created in the image of God. They were given special responsibilities. And yet the story says that before they started their work... They were asked to rest. Before they fulfilled their responsibilities, they were told to stop. Before they met their obligations, they were invited to walk into this holy day to do nothing other than be in the presence of God. And I think that we get to see the fullness of God's beauty and brilliance and grace if we hear what it is that God has to say to people in these moments. If we hear that there is something special, something sacred, something beautiful and powerful and valuable in the reality that on the very first day that man and woman existed, they were called to rest. This wasn't something that they'd earned. It wasn't something that they had accomplished yet. Before they'd even had time to deserve it. God said, rest. In the book called Subversive Sabbath, which is by A.J. Swoboda, he says this. He says, God's nature always gives rest first. Works Work comes later. And I I don't know about you and where you are. Today is one of those days that you're all a little blank-faced, so I'm not sure if you're with me or not with me. 
But we find a way to begin to wrestle and to push back on what's happening with us, to ask questions about, well, why is this important? Why does this matter? Is it, is it really true? What's, what's the relevance that's going on here? And, and some of us even ask the question, was this really very responsible of God? I mean, to give people rest before they had to do their job, that, that doesn't seem very responsible. And it seems to me that a lot of our questions, a lot of our struggles as we battle with the idea of Sabbath and what's going on in Sabbath and what it is that we're called to in rest, it seems that many of our struggles are because this idea, this, this thought of rest, of Sabbath, it does not fit our cultural worldview. It doesn't fit our understanding of the way that life is supposed to work, of the way that we're supposed to live, of the way that we're supposed to do things. And very often we seem to take what we've decided is right, what we've decided is the way to live. And we take the things of God and we take the teachings of God and we try and find a way to stick those things into what we've already figured out. Well, this is the way that we're supposed to live life. So how do the things of God fit into what I've already understood is right about the way that life works or the world works or my schedule works or things are supposed to happen? And it seems to me that that way of approaching God, that that way of approaching Scripture is actually backwards. That what it means for us to proclaim that God is our king means that we revisit everything that we've already figured out about how we live life. We revisit every piece of what it means for us to understand the way that things work. We revisit every piece and we say, okay, what if we now run this through the filter of how has God called us to live? Instead of running the things of God through the filter of how do we understand life is supposed to be lived? Does that make sense, the difference? This means yes. This means no. I'm well aware your teenagers are asleep, but the rest of you don't have as good of an excuse. Except for Lars. And where'd Tom go? Did he leave altogether? He's taking a nap. He's still in the balcony asleep, isn't he? Is he? Sloboda makes this comment also. Says the Sabbath teaches us that we do not work to please God, rather, we rest because God is already pleased with the work He's accomplished in us. As we think about Sabbath, as we talk about the entire idea of Sabbath, we have to understand that Sabbath stands in complete defiance to the way that our culture works. The idea of Sabbath, the idea of stopping, the idea of a day of rest stands contrary to much of what we believe is true about life, of the way that we're called to live, of the way in which we're expected to live. It stands in contrast to much of what we rely on. As I think about us and I think about life and I think about the world, man, even in the church, so many of us are plagued with this idea that we are not Worthy of being loved by other people. And when we wrestle with that battle inside of us, it means that we also wrestle with the battle that we're not actually worthy of being loved by God. For many of us, we struggle with the idea that we aren't successful enough. We haven't done enough stuff right in order to be loved. And we define success in a multitude of ways. 
All of us have different variations of what it means to be successful in different areas of our life and different things that we're thinking about and that we're wrestling with. But but this lack of, of feeling that we have succeeded makes us question whether or not we're worthy of being loved. So many of us are plagued by the question, will I ever be enough? Good enough, accomplished enough, successful enough, happy enough, rich enough, wanted enough. And as we battle with the idea of are we enough, do we do enough, have we, have we established enough, have we won enough favor, as we wrestle with all of that, we push up against this thing in life that tells us we can never, ever say no. We're terrified of the word no. Because if we say no at work, we might not get the promotion that we want. We might not keep our job at all. So we can't ever say no at work because we're afraid of what might happen. Many of us can't say no to our children because we're afraid that if we say no to our children, they won't feel loved enough or they won't feel respected enough. So we have come to believe that we can't tell them no. Many of us can't say no to the activities that are constantly coming our way. Whether they're for us to be involved with or for our children to be involved with, we are scared to say no to those activities because if we say no, they might stop coming. Many of us can't say no to the longings that we have to buy the newest thing, the newest gadget, the newest whatever it is, whether it's a new car or a new house or a new possession or a new toy. Afraid that if we say no, we might somehow be left behind in what's going on. So many of us can't say no to anything because we are so afraid of missing out on what's taking place. We're afraid that if we say no, it'll make us look like we're not as, as accomplished or we're not as successful as our competitor. We do this as organizations all the time. Even as churches, we're scared to say no to something because it might make us look like we're not as successful as our neighbors down the street. And underneath so much of this is we are afraid to say no because we're absolutely terrified that if we do so, we might disappoint someone. And I wish so badly that I could say, this is just about our culture. It's our world that's made a mess of this. And yet the reality is, our churches have bought into the exact same lie. And we've convinced ourselves, and we've convinced others, and we've convinced those who are part of us. You can't say no to anything. You have to say yes. You have to be roped in. Sabbath is the holy privilege we have been given as the people of God to say no. We are no longer stuck in the demands of the pursuit of being enough. Genesis tells us that we were given rest before it was deserved. And it's in that that we come to believe you are enough. Friends, you are enough because you were created in the image of God. We are no longer slaves to the culture. We're no longer slaves to our pursuit of being enough. We are no longer slaves to the impossibility of saying no. We are free. We are released. We are loved 
We are enough. Sabbath was a part of this creation rhythm so that you and I could understand that that we have freedom from the idols of our culture. That we have freedom from the idols that say we can never slow down, we can never stop running, we can never say no, we can never ever stop. We have to always be going and instead God stands up in absolute defiance of everything else, of the way the world worked both in their time and in ours and says you must stop. Stand in defiance of our idols. Stand in defiance of our culture. Stand in defiance of any other gods in our life. Stand in defiance of our longings to win God's favor. Stop. Sabbath. Participate in this holy blessing. I'm convinced that you and I can only ever get to the place that we fully believe we're enough if we learn to stop. We can only get to the place that we believe we are fully loved if we refuse the rhythms that we've grown comfortable with. The rhythms in which the world works, the rhythm in which our society works, the rhythm in which most, most of our families work, the rhythm in which our job places work, this go, 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 non-stop, never-ending way of life. We can only come to the place of believing we're fully loved if we refuse that rhythm and take hold of the rhythm that we were created to live in. If we make Sabbath a part of our life, a part of our faith journey, a part of our weekly rhythm, it's only in that practice that we can come to understand what it means for you and I to have been created in the image of God. So over the next several weeks, actually longer than I've ever talked about Sabbath on an extended basis, we're going to talk about the practice of Sabbath. We're going to talk about what it means for us to stop, what it means for us to Sabbath, what it means for us to rest. But we have to understand that it starts here. It starts with you and I learning to stop. We have to put a hard stop on the end of our work week. We have to put a hard stop From not only our work, but from this place that has us thinking all the time about how will we accomplish all the responsibilities that are put before us. We have to put a hard stop on the end of our day if we're ever going to get there. We have to put a hard stop so that we can come to understand that we are more important than the work we accomplish. We're going to spend five weeks here as the plan. And here's why. We're going to spend five weeks here because I suspect the majority of the room is listening and going, man, this is a really good idea. I wish my, wife, I wish my life worked that way. I wish I could figure those things out. I I wish I could make a plan like that. Yeah, you just don't understand how my work is. You just don't understand how my job is. You just don't understand how my family is. 
you are absolutely right. I do not understand your situation. But I believe that it is important for me to come and stand before us week after week and tell us that the scriptures say God doesn't care what your boss has to say about how your life is supposed to work. God cares about your work and God cares about your life, but God is not dictated by how your boss says your life is supposed to work. And God's rules are not dictated by what your schedule says is supposed to happen day in and day out. As a matter of fact, the scriptures give us very clearly the understanding that Sabbath is not simply a suggestion. And too many of us live like Sabbath is nothing more than a holy suggestion. I think I've said this to you before. I know I've said it in other places. We'll get to the Ten Commandments. I'm preaching other sermons. i got to stop. I get so excited about what Sabbath has done in our life over the last couple of years. So excited about the way that it is countercultural. That it stands in complete contrast to everything that I have claimed to believe and to follow most of my life. That, that as I start talking, it's so hard to stop. And I'll say it again probably later as we look at the Ten Commandments, but let me say it now. If as your pastor, I took most of the other Ten Commandments and decided that they were nothing more than holy suggestions, you would show me the door. If it was only a holy suggestion that I be faithful to my wife, if it was only a holy suggestion that I not kill someone, if it was only a holy suggestion that I be honest as a person and in the way that I do business, you would show me the door quickly. But too often, both in churches and in our families and in our other jobs, when people actually begin to practice Sabbath, we show them the door for being faithful to God. And my hope over the next several weeks is that we will begin to listen and look and reevaluate in new ways. But it begins with you deciding you will find time to stop. And it may begin as moments. But the scriptures say it should become a day. But, 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 yeah, I know, we'll get there. Let me read a quote to you. Also in the Swoboda book, as he quotes a guy named Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. It says, the rest of God, the rest God gladly gives so that we might discover that part of God we're missing. is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them. Without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could.
What is it that you need to stop? What is it that you need to stop so that you can fully experience what it means to receive the love and the grace of God? What is it that you need to stop so that you can come to the place of believing that you are enough? And you were enough before you accomplished anything. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, hear from us this morning our prayers. Jesus, hear from us our frustrations, our struggles, our questions, our disappointments with this entire idea of rest, of Sabbath. Hear from us the frustrations that say, I wish I could, but I don't know how. Hear from us the disappointments that say, yeah, my life just doesn't look that way. Hear from us the pushback that says, yeah, but I'm not sure it's actually supposed to work that way. God, hear from us this morning. And as you hear our words, as you hear the thoughts of our minds, the stirrings in our soul, God, continue to wrestle with us. Wrestle with us and remind us that we are enough. That you love us exactly as we are. That you love us exactly the way you created us. That we can't win any more or less of your love. You have given it to us in abundance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.